This episode of the Sport Lifestyle Podcast is presented by Empirica. That's Empirica, E-M-P-I-R-I-K-A. Empirica exists to amplify your brand's growth. A digital partner to the ambitious, the creative engine launching brands and igniting growth. The unagency where relationships matter, not transactions. Let's connect at EmpiricaMedia.com. That's EmpiricaMedia.com. Let's get the show started. This is the Sport Lifestyle Podcast, where the trade of sport collides with fashion and innovation. Your hosts, Mike Gugat, Neil Schwartz, and John Peters, break down news, discuss trends, and interview industry influencers. The Sport Lifestyle Podcast is on now. This is episode two of the Sport Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Gugat. A lot going on in the world, guys, and so out of sensitivity, uh, I, I thought it would be nice if we just had a conversation, and in doing so, it might serve uh, as an escape. So we'll do our best to you know, not make light of the situation, yet try to keep our conversation light. So in kicking off, hey, Poobah, did, uh, did JP tell you what I got him for his 31st birthday? I didn't even know it was JP's 31st birthday, so it looks like I missed that. So happy 31st birthday, John. Oh, thanks. I'm trying not to remember how old I am. I keep saying early 30s. How long can I uh, use the early 30s? You have one more year to go for that. (laughs) What'd you get, John? What did he get you? Uh, Mike got me, uh, and Karina, I guess Karina is a part of the birthday. He got Karina a lovely bottle of wine, and he got me uh, five hair tie scrunchies for my growing man bun. Oh, you know, we talked about that on the last uh, time we recorded together. No, we didn't. Yes, we did. That was. We a, didn't actually. Uh, I think that was a conference call. I think Ashley from Skechers caught us talking about the man bun. Got it. Yeah, I'm, I'm afraid that's what it is. But uh, which which color of neon are you wearing today, John? Oh, I'm wearing the yellow one right now. Actually, I don't know if it's yours or not. I have like 80 hair ties now. It's great. It's awesome. <laughs> the, uh, the 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 best part of the uh, the getting him the scrunchies is that his sisters were at their birthday and one of them was actually relieved because apparently he steals hair products from her. So that was a. Well, a <laughs> I, I'm at this weird stage in my life where any female, whether my girlfriend, uh, mother, or sister, whoever, uh, is relying on me for hair ties. That's how you know it's real, guys. So now at this point, we've pretty much lost any listeners that we have. So we'll just have a cathartic conversation amongst friends. And speaking of friends, we have David Kinnis, a friend of the podcast, who uh, is also the chief growth officer at Essential Design. And David, I'd love to ask you, you know, how Boston's adjusting to this new normal. And uh, I, of course, don't mean uh, Brady wearing a Bucks jersey. (laughs) <laughs> Thanks, guys. Great to be on again. Um, I'm an Eagles fan, so I could care less where Brady is, although um, I'm looking at the guys at TB12 and what they're doing right now. Hopefully that comes out in the edit. That was a bad start. Um, so in Boston, and particularly in the innovation economy up here, um, lots of things are happening here. I think what we've seen is kind of the spirit of ingenuity really coming to the fore. Um, if we look at companies like Bauer, the hockey company who are based in the New England area, you may have seen something about them retooling their production to start to make uh, protective masks. Fanatics um, has started making masks from Major League Baseball uniform material. Um, Companies like Pistol Lake, which uh, some friends of ours out in the LA area 
have retooled uh, to make masks, gowns, and other PPE. And a lot of companies are really starting to do that and shifting production over. I think we've also seen in the healthcare and life sciences space, which is a big category for us at Essential, a lot of things happening. Um, you know, it's been less than 90 days since COVID-19 was first sequenced. And in that time, um, already 58 treatments and 43 vaccines are in development. And a lot of those companies are based in the Boston area with a lot of activity there. So we've seen them connect through the Gates Foundation um, and start to band together to race to a cure. So we've seen, you know, companies like J&J, Merck, Sanofi Genzyme, Pfizer, Bristol-Myers Squibb, Lilly, Novartis, um, GSK, so on and so forth, all start to work together, which is amazing. And I think if you look at what's happening across the economy, um, apart from the unemployment statistics and the fact that the economy is shut down and people are really looking for leadership, you've seen Governor Cuomo in New York uh, when he spoke last weekend, and as we've seen him almost every day as New York becomes, you know, the new epicenter of the coronavirus, people have really, you know, reached out and spoken a lot about looking and wanting um, new leadership and people to stand up. So I think a lot of companies have really done that, even though they just don't really know what's going to happen. Um, we saw a poll come out yesterday that our friend Scott Kirstner, who's a big columnist in Boston, uh, has written for the Boston Globe for many years and uh, runs an organization called Innovation Leader. He polled uh, their membership, which are about a thousand people responded to this, as well as some um, of his followers on Twitter. And I think uncertainty was the big thing that came through. Probably 40%, I believe the statistic was that the uh, crisis would be over and we'd be back to normal by June. But, you know, just about the same number, I believe 38% thought we wouldn't be back until September or even later. So I think it's just a big area of uncertainty and anyone trying to make predictions now, uh, I think, you know, is going to have to revise them weekly, if not daily and hourly. It's amazing. Just, I mean, there's, there's so much there to unpack, but at a personal level, you were actually training for the Boston Marathon and uh, tell us about that experience and then finding out that the, the marathon would be postponed. I was and still trying to. So, um, you know, the hope all along was that they wouldn't cancel it. But fortunately, they've moved it back to September. I think what's interesting about the marathon, apart from, you know, the many years that it's been run, is that it's really the day when New England kind of emerges from winter hibernation. Um, people, you know, everywhere really welcome you to the area. And it's got such an importance, not only from the seasons of it and kind of the annual happening, but, you know, the gravity that it's taken on since the bombings a few years ago. So it seemed like it was never in question that it would be canceled, but fortunately it's been moved back to September. So, you know, as one of my friends said to me, you know, hey, now that you have six more months to train, there's no reason you can't win, right? There you go. Hey, Papa, down there in uh, South Florida, it's, uh, you know, I mean, golf is pretty much part of the daily culture. What's, uh, what's, what's going on? Yeah, it's unfortunate. Um, earlier in the week, um, the uh, whatever they call the person who's in charge of the county down here um, asked that all golf courses, both public and private, 
be closed, um, which is unfortunate because um, as I've talked many times on the podcast, I live on a private golf course and we have been practicing a lot of very stringent social distancing uh, techniques. You know, golf has been a wonderful kind of a refuge or release, you know, from a mental standpoint. I think, you know, I think people are not really paying as much attention to the mental health aspects um, of this situation as much as they are, of course, the economic aspects. Um, and then, of course, the general health, you know, the, the physical health aspects. But, you know, we unfortunately uh, lost the ability to play golf, um, which is kind of bumming me out. What, what really bummed me out even more was that the governor, Ron DeSantis, you know, allowed spring breakers to, you know, stay on the beaches and mingle together, even after the president, CDC, National Institute of Health, all came out with uh, guidelines for social distancing. Yet Ron DeSantis, um, our governor in his infinite wisdom, didn't think closing the beaches was really a good idea at that time. And now what's happening is that we're starting to get more and more cases amongst younger uh, people. And, um, you know, they're talking about Florida being possibly one of the next hotspots, um, you know, for COVID-19. And, uh, you know, I really hope that does not come to pass. I'm sure there's a Darwin joke in there somewhere, but I won't make it. So, JP, how's it uh, sharing uh, your, your living room with a uh, law office? Yeah, guys, um, it's good to be back. Neil, I, uh, I I saw some story actually in, in is Golf Channel, CNBC. Maybe we'll try to link it in the show notes. But they did say social distancing and golf uh, go together, and they, they were seeing upticks in participation. I thought that was pretty interesting, but um, – also, side note, I, I truly did not realize you live on a private golf course in Florida. I always thought that was a joke, but uh, I am really jealous of you. But but in all seriousness, I think the uh, the Florida hotbed is coming, I, you know, just to the point everyone's here making. I think kind of what you were saying, David, uh, it's really hard to judge this just because of the inaccurate or lack of data that, that we have and um, the uncertainty. And I've never been a doomsdayer and I'm actually a silver linings type of guy, but I, I just don't think anyone in this country is, is taking it seriously enough. And, you know, considering the fact that we are now uh, leading the globe in terms of cases uh, is pretty disturbing given that we started, I guess, after people allegedly, you know, getting identifying the cases that is, and the testing is just ramping up. And so, um, you know, New York City being the the worst case right now in terms of, of confirmed cases, um, I think that this new normal will, will slowly set in. I mean, here in Washington, D.C., Mike and I, we got a, I'm sure Mike, you got the same emergency services text message. Uh, all non-essential businesses are closed until at least April 24th. And so uh, my in-apartment attorney, the lovely Karina Velez, as I call her, uh, she and I kind of looked at each other like, oh, we got to we got to put up with each other for four more weeks. I haven't been on a plane in three weeks. And she's like, uh, can you can you get out of here a little bit? So in all seriousness, I do think we're going to see a Corona baby bump and a or Corona divorce bump. Is anybody going to take me up on that in, in terms of agree, disagree? I, I don't think you're wrong, but I think this is definitely a great test for your relationship. They, they say that, you know, you know, to be able to survive, you know, small spaces, confined spaces for extended periods of time are a sign of true love. It is it is quite challenging. I mean, this brings us to our first real topic. I think for for David, I want to ask you. Um, 
uh, at home fitness. It, it, it seems to be uh, what I have been in many conversations this week on. Is it going to be all at home? Is it going to be in the gym anymore? And I've learned to never make broad statements. And so I, I firmly believe it'll be both. Um, I just think that Corona was the accelerant behind a lot of uh, uh, at-home fitness. Now you see Peloton giving three months for free. You've seen Nike drop their uh, subscription. You've seen ClassPass now do some streaming, Core Power, et cetera. Um, David, you're well-connected in the in the fitness community and uh, just curious on your thoughts <clears throat> with this uh, coronavirus and at-home fitness. I think a lot of things are happening in that space, John. I think, um, you know, you already have large-scale adoption of products, connected products and systems, like you mentioned, Peloton, Hydro, Mirror, Tonal, um, and all the others that have come on with Echelon and SoulCycle, Equinox, all those things. Um, I think you're seeing a lot of those, not only hardware, but the apps adapt to this. You know, there's a um, quote that comes out of Mark Parker at Nike, which is an old one, but an important one that I think plays out to this, which is challenges are more than moments to overcome. They're opportunities for reinvention. And I think what we're seeing from many of these businesses is quick adaptation and ingenuity to figure out how to approach this new normal, right? I think we see that not only in the fitness space, you've seen a lot of instructors who you know, their gyms are closed. Uh, so what do they do? They've gone on to Instagram with stories and Instagram TV to start to bring personal training and classes online. You've seen um, the 10 push-up challenge that's come on uh, that people are doing and kind of sending that challenge to each other. I think that's a big one. I think what'll be very, very... John did not accept that challenge, DK. I, I tried to tag him in it. I, I have no comment on that at all. <laughs> <laughs> we'll save our Instagram DMs for another uh, another uh, episode. Keep going, DK. <laughs> there you go. So I think um, a couple of things to think of as well is, you know, this has played out not only in the fitness and wellness space, but it's really played out in the workplace too, right? You know, we're really all adapting to a new way of working. Everybody, you know, is self-quarantined and having to work out of new spaces and places and stay not only, you know, socially distant, but business distant now too. And I think the things we're seeing are, you know, usage of collaboration tools and technologies, uh, whether that's Zoom, whether that's Slack, whether that's Microsoft Teams, um, those are all growing and you're seeing people trying to adapt and businesses trying to adapt to that. Um, I just got a LinkedIn invite about an hour ago to have an e-coffee, which I've never had before. So I'm excited to have an e-coffee and see what that's all about. Uh, we're also learning, you know, that many meetings could have been emails after all, right? Um, that's always been the case. You know, can, can we be more effective and efficient in how we use our time? For me, it's really funny. I, you know, spent um, a bunch of time a few years ago at a startup um, in Boston that was called Groove Networks. We um, had built communication and collaboration tools back when there was no such thing and, you know, got used to working that way. We eventually got acquired by Microsoft and our product um, is now the uh, foundation of Microsoft Teams. So, you know, for me, coming back to this is almost like um, a stroll down memory lane. But for a lot of people and a lot of businesses, um, it's a new thing to figure out. And I think one of the big questions with that is going to be, 
you know, when self-quarantine eventually ends, is remote work going to be here to stay? And what effect does that have on the way that, you know, fitness programming is delivered, the way that a lot of these connected fitness companies come together? And, you know, do people sacrifice their gym membership or their Peloton membership, um, you know, as we go through some economic hardship? And I think those are the questions that a lot of people are watching really closely. You know, DK, I, 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 I really agree with a number of the things you say. As you know, being the uh, kind of resident data geek here on the show, um, you know, I've been watching a lot of the surveys and a lot of the consumer information that's been coming out. And, you know, we've seen, you know, a couple of numbers like 43% of consumers say that many of the habits or many of the things that they are uh, kind of using now or integrating now, they plan to do after the crisis is over. Now, I'm not sure how that extends, you know, necessarily into connected fitness and things like that. You know, I, I do know one thing. Um, my daughter, uh, who has been on the podcast before, um, just bought a Peloton. And uh, she told me that she is allowed to share her membership um, with three additional people. Now, I don't know if that's just something new that they've allowed um, as a result of the coronavirus situation, or if that's something that they've always allowed. But but frankly, I am anxious to give it a try. I have never really looked at any of the classes or really even spent any time on the Peloton website. And uh, so I'm going to be interested to see, you know, if, if this is something that I can participate in. But I do think there's there's going to be an awful lot of change out there, DK. And I think that, you know, some of this change is going to stick and some of it won't. Neil, it'll be exciting when Peloton replaces Peloton Girl with Peloton Pooba. Hey, <laughs> can I get a show? <laughs> uh, right, right, right now, I, I, I think we've done a poor job in trying to shill for you know Peloton and try to you know each get a bike here. But uh, interestingly enough, uh, we had one in our our office gym. And I had, as John knows, had been writing quite a bit. And now we've had to come up with almost the equivalent of a, a, a prison, you know, a, a fitness regimen of, of, you know, push-ups and jumping rope. So it's uh, it's been ugly around here. David, can, can, do- I, can I ask you a question, David, about the Echelon bike in particular? Do you think the consumers, um, as the, the marketing curve kind of gets pushed or maybe accelerated a little bit, that the companies that are making less expensive equipment like Echelon will be able to also kind of benefit uh, during this time? Or do you think that, you know, the the brand name is going to be the one that really kind of shines the, the brightest? It's a great question. I personally, just looking at data and, you know, knowing from some of the other projects that we're working on right now, know that there's a lot of room in the market, particularly as we approach more of the mass market. You know, Peloton is clearly the name that people know. And then, you know, to some extent, they know Hydro, Mirror, Tonal, and the others that are out there right now. But, you know, they're not necessarily addressing the mass market who can't afford a $40 monthly subscription and, you know, the price of purchasing the bike and or the treadmill. So what's going to happen to more of the mass market? In other words, what's the Kohl's, Target, Walmart equivalent of, you know, Peloton being the boutique equivalent here? Yeah, that that uh, space is getting pretty crowded, as we've all talked about. And I think content is great and content is king until it's not. I mean, it, when you have a cash burn of 
so so much uh, it's kind of like content at what cost but last thing on this topic guys and we can switch um we'll try to link it in the show notes but just uh last night late last night um what i've been really reading is is i've been fascinated by the leaders who are stepping out of their comfort zones and 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 putting themselves out there in in the time of crisis and one of them was fritz uh lanham who's the ceo uh of classpass and uh it, he wrote this piece on medium and basically said First words were over the past two weeks, class passes global revenue has fallen 96% and goes on to explain what they're doing, et cetera. And this is a billion dollar unicorn, right? So this is, this is as serious as it gets. So they're, they're pivoting into a live stream model. And I think another good one is something, David, I think you were talking about before the show. Uh, now that I know you're the original copycatter of Slack, uh, uh, Stuart Butterfield, the CEO and founder there has an amazing Twitter thread. I would just encourage everyone to go read it. Um, but maybe kind of shifting gears a little bit, David, that brings us to kind of, you know, a topic we always talk about leadership. Um, you mentioned Bauer, you mentioned some of the brands, but anything else stick out to you from executives you're talking to or, or anything you're hearing uh, out there from the community? Yeah, JP, there's kind of three buckets of things um, that we're hearing as we speak, not only with our clients, but other leaders and, you know, through our parent company, PA Consulting. Um, we've heard kind of leaders looking right now, they're looking at what's next and they're looking for bigger future opportunity. So, you know, in the first bucket uh, behind door one, we're seeing in the now, they're looking for new ways to help their core businesses navigate the economic uncertainty um, and basically the economy shutting down. But at the same time, they're looking to reassure uh, staff and key people in their teams. And they're also looking to prepare for different scenarios of what is to come. So, you know, you mentioned Stuart Butterfield a minute ago, and that quote, you know, from their earnings, I believe this week was, look, we want to be reasonable and prudent and earn the trust of our investors uh, but we, and the market, but we literally have no idea what's going to happen and neither does anyone else really. The error bars on any prediction will be miles wide is something he said. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, no one really knows what to come, but we're hearing leaders trying to prepare as best as they possibly can for it. I think, you know, then behind door number two in that what happens next um, area, we're hearing leaders who are looking to say, look, you know, not only preparing for different scenarios of what's to come, but, you know, there are now entirely new customer needs, problems and priorities that are happening now and will come out of this. So we need to understand those. We need to be able to react to those. Um, and that could be something like reevaluating communication and how they communicate entirely, or it could be entirely about um, supply chain, it could be product needs, it could be things like that. So we have an example, um, our parent company, PA, is leading the charge in the UK with the National Health Service to help um, retool industry to produce ventilators as opposed to car parts or God knows what else they might be producing. So they're trying to get ahead of it by you know looking at not only retooling industry but helping with supply chain and things like that. Um, and then you know in bucket number three is really what happens with the future, right? That could mean reinvention or it could mean emerging from 
this quarantine economy uh, more quickly and uh, more strong and coming out of it faster than their competition. So I think it's kind of now, next, and future, but the emphasis clearly is on the right now. When we got going uh, this morning, we were talking a little bit about shared experiences, and and I come back to the home fitness or the connected fitness, and how much they're trying to promote that. You know, uh, you know that that you're by participating, you're having a shared experience, albeit you know uh, in your own home. You know, so and traditionally, running is done very well during periods of recession because people don't need the gym membership to do it and they can run, you know, uh, uh, in solitude, any, any takeaways as far as, you know, areas of, of our, our sports industry that, that may benefit. This is open to everybody. I, you know, it's going to be very interesting. I think you bring up a really interesting point, Mike, because, you know, being that I've got about 16 years actually in the industry, you know, I have seen, you know, activities and sports like running, you know, really be able to thrive both both in good times and bad times, because frankly, it doesn't take a lot of effort. Um, it doesn't take a lot of equipment necessarily. Um, you know, all it takes is a desire to put on a pair of sneakers, uh, put on uh, climate appropriate clothing and get out there and either walk or run. So I do believe that, you know, the one activity that will probably be able to benefit um, in some way, shape or form will be um, running. Now, I'll be very curious. And, and we talked about this. David talked about this as we've talked about personal fitness, you know, is that will the club business really suffer a bit? Once people realize they can do a lot of these great fitness activities that they go to um, a club for, they can do them at home. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I think we're really entering a, a very uh, kind of unknown um, territory, um, you know, when this thing is over. And, uh, you know, as someone that studies data and looks at how things, you know, we think are going to go. You know, I'd like to believe that the data is telling a story right now, but things are changing so fast that, you know, it's hard to know what the future brings at this point. Yeah, a couple of the observations I've seen, you know, both online and in the Boston area here is I think some retailers have adapted really well, particularly running specialty uh, with, you know, Marathon Sports um, has a virtual try-on that you can do online and they're doing curbside pickup um, of online orders or phone ahead orders. So they're trying to react as best as they can to the fact that, you know, they can't have people in their store. Um, online, I think, you know, as we talked about before, you're seeing a lot of these, um, you know, running apps like Nike Run Club and some of the others um, adapting to this as well. I think Nike Run Club has made themselves free for everyone uh, like some of the others have. And, you know, I think just seeing it on my own, um, you know, running has really become the road less traveled, um, you know, or as I call it, antisocial short distancing, uh, the way I've been running lately. Um, there's nobody out. Um, you know, I went out the other morning and I think I saw five cars and five people. Um, and, you know, while I live in a small town south of Boston, still normally at that hour, the roads are very full and there are a lot of people out. So I think, you know, ultimately when, this all, you know, starts to return to semi-normal. I still believe people will return to their gyms. Um, I think it's going to be a lot like January and February is in gyms, you know, peak season, or as many of the gyms call it, tourist season. 
um, will come back. And I think over time, it'll be interesting to see, do people adapt to connected fitness and having equipment at home? And is that what they do instead of going to a gym or do they stick with their gym and use that as substitutes? And frankly, what's the disposable income situation going to be um, with the economy and the effects that are going to have, we're all going to deal with from this? Hey, David, I, I, I want to go back to something you said kind of related to to everything going on and really hone in on consumer behavior here. So uh, well, two-part question. One, I'd love to hear, and I'm sure audience would as well. Uh, I think all of us on this on this podcast today are pretty nimble in our lives and we're pretty much accustomed to working, you know, from a coffee shop or a client conference room or or our home. So I'd love to hear kind of some of your routine, but, but maybe first um, and related to that is you know, if you're a, a Fortune 500 company or a, a large law firm or, or whatever, and you're paying, you know, 75 grand, 100 grand, 150 grand in large cities a month for rent, and you notice the uptick perhaps in productivity during a quiet period like this, if you're the company, if you're the corporation, um, do you expect some of these companies to save on rent and and maybe? allow for more remote work. I, I find it fascinating that everyone thinks if you're in an office for nine hours, you're working nine hours. I would actually contend from what I've seen from from clients and uh, and others that the productivity seems to be just as good, if not better, from home. So any thoughts on, on those two things? So I think you've got a couple major trends to look at there. One is, you know, over the last few years and maybe even the decade, there's been a trend of migration back into cities from the suburbs. And that's not just people living in the suburbs and moving into the city, but that's really been companies moving back into cities. And I think we're seeing that not only across the entire United States, but around the world. So that's helped raise rents for um, developers and for property owners. Um, and you know, just having done a lot of work in that space over the past few years is that's something that has impacted the market greatly. Um, companies want to be in the cities because that's where the talent is. And as talent continues to stay in cities, um, that's what has been going on. It'll be interesting to see with kind of you know social distancing, does that mean people no longer want to be in cities? Does that change consumer behavior longer term? I think that's one big thing to look for. I think um, remote work has been growing, and that's been something that you know many, many companies have encouraged and built their entire way of operating around. Um, but there are still companies and businesses and industries where you really need to be in the office at the same time. Some of that is you know just the serendipitous connections and uh, creativity that happens when you're in the same place. But I think we'll start to see a little more balancing of that and a little more um, of, you know, companies being used to this kind of new way of working. And, you know, I think remote work is certainly here to stay. Um, it's not something new, but I think it's going to be adopted even more over time. Will that have an effect on rents and kind of the economic engines inside city with constructions? I don't know. It'd be very, very interesting to watch and see what happens there. I think as a quick follow-up to what John was asking there as well is, is how we sort of adapt our daily lives if we've been in an office on a regular basis. And clearly you work, David, for a company that is creative and thrives on being together. How is essential design 
approaching this, you know, period. It's been really interesting to watch as we all get used to not being in the office together. So we're a 45 person firm and, you know, in a studio and everybody's used to being together yet kind of working on their own, meaning, you know, we all can see what everybody's working on, but we also have, you know, quiet, locked, um, you know, project rooms to go work in and to go work either in small teams or solo to be able to concentrate. And that kind of hive mind and ability to collaborate, communicate, get quick thoughts and insights from others um, really is something that we're trying to figure out how to preserve. So a couple of things that we've done are that we have um, morning stand-up meetings uh, with each of our teams, even if it's just 15 minutes, kind of keeping that human connection means a lot to people and being able to share not only what you're working on, but kind of what you're dealing with, um, just not being together and being home. So getting people used to that. We have um, a virtual lunch table. So one of the big things for our culture that's been really important, and I know every culture has their own rituals and things that are important, but we have a big kitchen table and everybody eats lunch together, um, kind of in, you know, informal shifts, but that's really when we all see each other and catch up and get to see what's going on. And that's been a big part of our culture. So finding a way to replace that has been interesting. We have a virtual lunch table now. So at 12, 1230 every day, we all jump on teams and there's a virtual lunch table on there. So that's been really fun to do. And then on Friday at four o'clock or beer o'clock, as we call it, um, We've done that over Teams as well. So we're all trying to get used to how we do, um, you know, how we work together, but also how our culture stretches and adapts to this new way of working and how we can do it remotely. I think over time, we'll end up, you know, having more of a blend of these things as we go. That's only natural, but I still think nothing can replace, you know, being together in person. Dave, I, 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 have, I have an interesting question, and I, I want to kind of um, kind of predicate this question by something that happened actually on Friday. Um, I sat in on the uh, earnings call for uh, Hibbit Sports. You know, they're a fairly um, large uh, retailer down south, and during their call, um, they were actually chastised by one of the sell side analysts for not closing their stores, and. Um, you know, it, it brought up an interesting kind of uh, situation is that and, and JP and Mike, you know, we've all known, you know, we've known a lot of CEOs and we've worked with a lot of interesting CEOs. But it, it's just curious to me now about the thought process that um, a CEO goes to goes through, you know, as they try to protect, you know, their employees, they try to protect the business, they try to protect the shareholders. And, and how do you protect all of those people? Um, at the same time, it seems like there are in a lot of cases, some of these CEOs are in a no win situation. And I think it's going to test a lot of leadership skills for a lot of people. Yeah, leadership has been, I think, one of the big things that's really come out of this situation that everybody's in. Um, that goes all the way up to the upper echelons of, you know, national leadership, whether it's um, the lack of making quarantine decisions or acknowledging the severity of Corona early on you know, from the government all the way down to the local level. Um, I think we saw states and towns from a government standpoint and cities really filled the vacuum there and started, um, you know, ordering um, quarantine, ordering shelter in place or advising it. 
from a company level, you know, and that's not just essential, not just uh, PA, our parent company and the global uh, workforce that we have through PA, but also with our clients, you know, big multinational uh, consumer products companies, life sciences companies, healthcare manufacturing, all those. And we've seen kind of a lot of different um, pace of decision behind that. Just going into our own decision-making process, we uh, made the decision, you know, early last week. So, um, you know, a couple weeks ago, by the time this podcast is live, um, we finally realized, you know, hey, the state of Massachusetts has told people to stay home, uh, but we haven't done that yet. So we really need to step up and understand, you know, that this is what our team is being told by the state and by the government and by law enforcement. So we probably should acknowledge that and move in the same direction. I think every business has gone through that same type of thought process and decision-making process. At the end of the day, what, you know, we've realized and what I think everybody has realized is this is something that they've never dealt with before. And even the best kind of crisis planning and crisis management doesn't prepare you for this. You can, you know, pull a binder off the shelf and look at a plan that you created, but you really have to evaluate it in real time and understand the situation that's happening outside. Hey guys, I, I've got, and, and David, we can start with you, but I'd, I'd be curious for my uh, fellow co-hosts, their thoughts on this. Uh, last one for me on leadership, and then I have one other thing, but uh, you know, today the NBA said, uh, you know, they're going to actually finally, you know, cut the uh, payroll for corporate employees. And, you know, this all started, I think everyone kind of realized how serious this was nationally. Once the NBA canceled the season, they, they tend to lead uh, like that. Um, the NHL, their headquarters in New York, I think last week, 25% payroll reduction. You've seen DSW, a uh, big footwear retailer, lay off 90% of their staff, no severance at all, which is just terrible in my opinion, or no plan at least right now for severance, et cetera. So, so I, I just give these examples. And then you know, conversely, on the far end, you have somebody like a Mark Cuban, who's been very outspoken, uh, probably secretly planning a presidential run, but I got to give him credit. He's, you know, all, all of the, his employees at the Dallas Mavericks, he's paying them. So, so I just bring all this up because it seems like, uh, they're, they're it's all over the place from a leadership perspective. Um, any thoughts on that? You know, I mean, it's, I kind of, a part of me is kind of like, I get it from a business angle, but the other part of me is like, what the hell? I mean, these are billion dollar properties that are only growing in value year over year. Let's be clear about it. So just any thoughts in general, guys? I think that right now we are in such uncharted waters that I think that leaders right now are having a difficult time. You know, as David mentioned, you know, a lot of these leaders are kind of pulling down the crisis playbook and they're finding out that a lot of the things that they were planning for are occurring now that they did not plan for. And I also think that a lot of leaders are waiting for the federal government to kind of bail them out in some ways uh, by, you know, whether it's uh, sending checks to employees or increasing unemployment benefits. So, you know, I, I just think they're, you know, right now everybody's kind of making this up as they go along in a lot of ways. And hopefully they're going to figure out the right answer. And, and in some cases, by the way, John, I agree with you that DSW um, basically laying off 90% of their workforce and not paying them, I think is, is a terrible move. Um, 
on their part shows very little loyalty to the people who have been loyal to them, and that is their employees. But, you know, again, you've also got, you know, employers, like you said, Mark Cuban, who are paying their employees. So, you know, this is really all over the place. And and just before David, sorry to jump in, but I, I wanted to, I was reminded, I can't, I'd be remiss if I did not say this, uh, Ed Stack, CEO of Dick's, totally foregoing his salary during this period. Um, you know, to think that, I mean, that's just, he's done this time and time again, leading by, by action and example. And, and Mark Cuban said it best. I think, you know, for decades to come, employees, communities, et cetera, are going to remember how they're treated by, by this and by right now. And so anyway, any, any other thoughts from, from you, DK? Yeah, a number of them. I think, you know, ultimately as a brand strategist and a brand guy, I look at this as, you know, pulling back the curtain on um, what happens inside the culture in a lot of different companies and how leadership really thinks of uh, the people and the humans that are part of their team. You know, the with brands, you know, right now, people, customers, employees have incredibly high expectations at every point of interaction. And that's product, service, uh, culture, and people, first and foremost. I think we're seeing through this, uh, you know, a glimpse of leadership and what they're doing about their culture. So some examples out of the sports uh, world, not only the, you know, professional world, but the fitness world and all that goes to, you know, you look at, you mentioned Mark Cuban before and what they're doing in Boston. Um, there's been a, you know, big cry out against um, the Bruins organization here and what they've done. They've laid off their staff, um, but not in a way that was to help them with unemployment benefits. It was just, they've kind of stayed quiet and done nothing there, which really shows you um, probably the way they think about um, the staff that they have at the Boston Garden here. I think you've seen across professional sports all over the world, not just here in the States, players have really banded together uh, with other players to create funds to help um, the staff that supports them all the time. So whether that's the team organization, whether that's workers in the arena um, or the stadium itself, um, we've seen players step up probably even more than owners have and donating out of their own pockets as well. I think with gyms, right, gyms have had to shut down. What are they doing with membership fees? What are they doing about their staff? Um, I know that everybody fights in Boston, which is my gym, um, you know, has closed down, uh, but they also suspended um, fees. So they said to all of us members, hey, you know, we're not going to charge you um, until we're open again. And they got an enormous response out of the membership saying, hey, no, we want to keep paying because we want to make sure that the trainers um, who really are the the lifeblood of the community that they have um, continue can continue to be paid and not have to endure hardship through this. And we've even seen it in the hospitality restaurant industry, you know, not just the people working in stadiums and arenas, but, you know, all the places that um, serve us every day, whether it's sandwiches for lunch, um, you know, coffee in the morning, drinks after work, um, or places that are part of the industry that way. Um, we've seen all them try to stay open and do all kinds of ingenious things to, you know, have curbside and, you know, drinks to go and things like that, just so that they can try to keep people employed. Um, they know that that's really what's so important. So just watching a lot of companies and try to figure out um, through that what they can do to not only stay open and stay going, but to take care of their people has really been a glimpse into culture and leadership who sets the tone for much of those cultures. 
So my yes and is that relationships matter. And DK, we appreciate the fact that you would come back on the podcast. And uh, after hearing about this, uh, is it beer o'clock that you guys celebrate there on Zoom? Beer o'clock, four o'clock. So maybe we could uh, arrange a beer 30 thereafter if you're, if you're still thirsty sometime and, uh, and keep the conversation going. I would love that. Thanks for having me on, guys. David, thank you. I want to thank our guest, David Kinnis from Essential Design. You can subscribe to this podcast on all major podcast platforms. Until next time, play hard or at least look good doing it.